Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Elevated Places Network presents a Time for Justice. My name is Sister Pamela Muhammad, and I am an attorney. This show discusses legal and current events in a roundtable discussion with legal minds. We discuss this country's centuries-long failure to apply, uphold, and enforce the laws and the overall failure of the legal system to give justice and the negative impacts these failures have had on black people and their black families. Ultimately, we want fair dealing. We want justice under the law, but all too often, this is not the actions that we see. Our guests tonight will not make those excuses for conduct, our conduct, racist conduct, or whatever conduct that is seen and raised that's really a distraction from the truth, which is the path to justice and equal protection. Let's talk about just, fair, and equitable solutions which are in the best interest of the people. Let's remove the distractions. So today, the name of our show is The Consequences of Decisions. The Consequences of Decisions, A Perspective from the Bench. This is going to be a very interesting show because tonight we have a brother who actually works magistrate in a city court. And we're going to talk about the consequences of decisions, uh, legal decisions, how how you must uphold certain bargains. And we're also going to talk about the decisions in life that lead to court involvement, bad decisions, which rob us of our opportunities of, of from what happens in these courts. We're going to talk about taking responsibility. So this is going to be a very interesting uh, topic tonight because we want to push the self-determination mindset of what we can do to avoid these traps and pitfalls that we often talk about. So I want to bring on our tonight's special guest. And our brother tonight is Brother Maurice Muhammad. And actually, Brother Maurice, I'm going to open up your mic. Oh, 
because I I do have your resume here, but I was looking for it, so let me go ahead and read it. Brother Maurice Muhammad is a person who was born in Birmingham, Alabama. Brother Muhammad actually received the appointment as a municipal court magistrate in the city of Birmingham back in 1996. He served in that position in 2012. Actually, then he began working as and was appointed as the chief magistrate for the city of Bessemer, which is another city in Alabama. This brother has been a contributing writer of the Alabama expungement law and now simultaneously serves as the chief magistrate in the cities of Bessemer and Brighton. Mr. Muhammad has lectured and participated on several college campuses, community activities, prisons, and Alabama death row. Mr. Muhammad attended Fisk University, where as a senior, he was introduced to the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam, and he became registered in 1993 in Birmingham, Alabama, where he has served many positions in the mosque, including a student minister in Montgomery from 2000 um, to 2003, and in Tuscaloosa from 2005 until 2010. So our brother Maurice Muhammad is married to Fanshawn Muhammad, and they have three beautiful children, Naira, Asad, and Samad. So I'm going to go ahead and open up Brother Maurice's mic. As-salamu alaykum. Wa alaykum salam, Brother Maurice. Thank you so much for taking your time. Sister Pablo, always an honor. Yes, sir. Praise be to Allah. Praise be to Allah. It's always an honor to have you too, sir, uh, joining us. And so as you heard, um, I introduced the topic because I know the last time you were on the show, we did talk about some of the practices in municipal courts, which, you know, people mm-hmm. will refer to it as debtor's prison sometimes because mm-hmm. these these cases are right at the um, very everyday experiences that many people have, and uh, mm-hmm. sometimes they're, they're not, you know, the courts are sometimes, uh, you know, predatory. There's there's this big, huge Mm -hmm. movement out there. But tonight, we didn't want to talk about that as much. We wanted to hear from you on how people can take uh, care of their business, I think is what you talked about, when you're in these courts so as to avoid some of these traps and um, becoming victimized or becoming uh, just another statistic. So I wanted to give you uh, the floor because we know that these are low-level crimes sometimes, and they're fines imposed, that is offenses, and as we talked before, they can create a gateway to the criminal justice system. But sometimes they can give people the ability to regain their balance. So let's just go right into what what is it that um, you as a brother – what what are you, what types of situations are bringing people into the courts, and and how do you try to help them? And, and first, let, let me just ask you this: Can you describe for us um, 
what you actually see, what what types of people come into these Sure. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. yes, you know, this is that, you know, as you speak on that, and I was um, I was just reflecting back on um, the diversity and the variety of charges. You know, I remember my very first warrant that I ever did um, was foul running at large. And, you know, you're thinking about, like, what do you mean foul running at large? It was literally a man with about 20 chickens. And he would not coop his chickens. So the neighbors were complaining because if anyone, you know, I'm quite sure there's somebody from the country that's listening. But uh, if you know the nature of chickens, they scratch. And they will scratch. There was a young lady there who had a award-winning uh, yard, you know how you have the beautification board and they give you the plaque. And the neighbor's chicken scratched up her, her flowers. I mean, and, and they did a they did a huge damage to their yard. And so they got a little tired of it and they made a police report. And it happened to be a charge called foul running at large. And uh, we issued a warrant based on that. And the man was prosecuted for it, and he had to pay for the damage and so on and so forth. But at the same time, the very next case, and that's one of the things about municipal court and courts in general, you don't know what's going to come through that door. And you, it, it may be a drug case, one person, and then it may be something as simple as uh, doing business without a license. You know, so um, you have to kind of be prepared and kind of keep yourself studied on the various changes in the laws and the various uh, new ordinances and new statutes that come out. But um, really, to be truthful, I mean, you see so much, and so much is encompassed uh, in municipal court law because you deal with domestic violence, we deal with shoplifters, we deal with um, DUIs, we deal with people who are using marijuana illegally, we're dealing with people who have paraphernalia. Then you deal with people who fail to appear. And so you have to kind of be able to be able to keep your mind open so that you can deal with everything that's coming at you because it's coming at you pretty quickly. And everything that's coming at you, you have to have a solution for. You have to have an answer for. So you got to be on top of your game. Right. And so when you say you have to be on top of your game, are you talking about those who are you really referring to? Um, I'm referring to the to the court officials and magistrates because okay. our job as a magistrate is to establish the probable cause in that particular instance. Mm, so okay. you've got to know these elements. You have to know the elements of your crimes. You have to know, uh, and what we deal with a lot of times is not necessarily the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. You know, it's amazing that we're talking about this uh, today, I guess, was a, a prepared me for the show today because it was kind of like my whole day went a day in review. You know, I, I had calls from from my officers asking me about certain statutes and certain, um, certain ordinances, and we talked about the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. We talked about the basic intent of the infraction. So mm. it would give them a clearer understanding of the infraction if you know the nature of it. If you know, and that goes back to the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, for us not being surface knowledge dwellers, 
but go into the root of things. So we have to go into the root of why this is an infraction. Most of our municipal laws, most of our laws in general, are placed in are in place to create a level of peace. Now, just think about if you were driving down the street and you had the green light and someone had the red light, but they didn't know what the red light meant. We would have a problem. Or if there were no red lights and there were no stop signs, and uh, who has the right of way? So laws are kind of put, put in place to establish a certain level of peace. You know, when when a law is is broken, they call it an infraction. You know, there is an infraction in the law. So that means that there has been some type of damage done to another party via this particular action. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and you know what? That is beautiful what you're saying uh, because in order to create this level of peace that the law you know, is is written for. I guess one thing I wanted to kind of jump back and talk about the condition of the people that come into the courts. And this is a time of justice where we we do deal Mm -hmm. with issues relating to black people. So as I said, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to deal with courts targeting people, but I am going to deal with outside of the community that we come from. And, And you know what? What I have found, Brother Maurice, this article, please indulge me, there was a April 29, 2021 article from NBC, and it actually talks about this menthol cigarette uh, ban that the FDA has actually said, okay, you can't sell menthol cigarettes. Uh, or mm-hmm. that, that they, what did they say, that the ban on menthol cigarettes, uh, because it's the major ingredient in the cigarettes and they're characterizing it um, as being illegal. But sure. 85% of black smokers use these menthol cigarettes, right? And so what I mm-hmm. think is pertinent to what we're talking about is that, you know, we're talking about a time for justice, and we deal a lot with the condition of black people. So in this article, they talk about how tobacco companies have aggressively targeted black people in marketing campaigns, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. And researchers have found the companies offer more deals and cheaper prices for menthol cigarettes in black neighborhoods. Uh, Per the Washington Post, the CDC reported that even though black people tend to smoke fewer, fewer cigarettes than white people, they're more likely to die from smoking related uh, diseases and so on, and, and it talks about how you know menthol is this ingredient in these cigarettes. And so, the part that really jumps out at me is the fact that we're talking about a people who live in a community that are targeted by sure. everything from bad food to you know drugs to. You know, we're even looking at cigarettes, you know, alcoholism and things like that. And a lot of times when our people are coming into these courtrooms, they don't have certain knowledge. So I know when you and I were talking about, and and we're going to get to that, because as we talk about Mm -hmm. decisions and decisions that we have to make for ourselves, you know, we definitely wanted to bring in the conversation about drugs and alcohol because you see a lot of DWIs and yes, these little low-level marijuana cases. But I know when we talk, when you talk about 
ensuring that all people that come before you in the court um, have a certain knowledge on how they can be successful. Uh, what what is it that you're seeing when when our well, people are coming? Well, one of the things that I see is our people sometimes have the attitude that I just want to go home. And so the facts of the matter don't really matter. Um, the the levity or, or the, the, the level of the crime doesn't really matter. What do I need to do to simply go home? And mm. so a lot of times, you know, I, I was talking to – talking to a defense attorney one day and he was about to plead his client and I just happened to look at the file and I knew the client and I, and I said well why is he being charged with this I mean why is, why is he taking a plea on this and when I, when I say that this it was a charge but his name was not even on the charge so wow. this young man was about to take a plea on a charge that was not even his and what happened, the, the particular charge, the person who was charged had a consecutive case number. You know, like this case number might have been, you know, 347, and the okay. young man's case number was 348, and 347 happened to end up in his file that he was about to take a plea on because we, they had worked out a deal that he could simply pay a fine and go home. But look at the aspect of him not being aware of what he's being even being uh, taken a deal on, you're taking wow. a deal on somebody else's charge, you know. So as for our people, once the charge is levied, I think it is is incumbent upon them to take it to take responsibility for knowing what they're being charged with before they go to court. Look up the possible penalties. Have have a grasp of what you're being charged with, so that because every court offers some type of alternative sentencing, you know, so see what the trend is. See what, how you can better help yourself by simply just not going in there and just saying, I want to go home, let me do what I need to do to go home, and you sign a whole bunch of papers, and then you end up with somebody else's charges, a couple of other people's charges, and then you end up uh, putting yourself in, in harm's way down the line because here we are five, six years after the conviction, and you're trying to get a job or you're trying to get into a professional school or, or trade school or something to that effect, and they ask you about this particular charge. Mm. And so it's reflective yeah. that way. You know, so, you know, and, and as you were saying, you know, Sister, when we were talking about, um, you know, the, that article that you were talking about, we have to we have to look at our community and see how our community is being branded. And if you notice, you know, when when they used to market alcohol in our community, it was always the worst. You know, if you look in our community, when you start talking about alcohol, and you, you know, you, you, first of all, they tell you that the cigarette of the day used to be cools. Right. I know my dad used to smoke cool. And I say, Daddy, why are you smoking cool? Because it's cool. So they made it. Right. They made it to be a vogue to destroy yourself. And so then they they got even bolder with our alcohols. Because if you notice, most of our alcohols have names of death. Mm. It's not like the Michelob when you see 
of the young man who's advertising the white beer, and he's in the he's in the app. He's at the foot of the Colorado Rockies with the with the water running smoothly, and he's right in the middle of the barley field. But when you see our, our alcohols and the alcohol that is marketed to us, here we are with slip small liquor. We got to run and the bulls busting through the walls. Here, if you look at the names of our alcohols, it's associated with death. Cobra. That's right. Magnum. That's right. You know, hurricane. Yes, you know, four loco. You know, so nothing is associated with being in a right state of mind. So it's telling you within the product what it's doing to the person. And it goes back to the old adage, you are what you eat or drink. So if you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm about to drink me some Magnum, and we know that Magnums are associated with guns or some Colt 45 that's associated with a gun, now we look at the party and then we shoot it up and say, hey, looker made me do it. I'm about to tear the club up, you know, because that's wow. our, that's what they're marketing to our mindset, and that's what has to be identified as well as reversed. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're right, because, I, I, you know, I know you were telling us some good information about what inside the court, and we're going to come back to that. But I think mm-hmm. we can go ahead and go into some of the decisions we are making, as you're talking about, that are actually connecting crime uh, with drugs right. usage and crime with alcohol usage. Because one of the things, and, and this is kind of what made me go here, you know, a lot of the times with these cases that I'm fighting very hard for, some, you know, sometimes a factor in it is some drug usage um, or some yeah. alcohol usage because this is a problem in our community. Um, as Sister Charlene, and I always love to go to her articles, this particular article she talked about, um, it's called Alcohol Obsession, Corporate Greed, and Devastated Lives. And she was saying how um, 76% of people die from alcohol poisoning deaths occur mm. among adults 35 to 64 and i think this case this this is this article is older it's a final call article but i um i just wanted to share it uh last year and again this was i think in the 2000s but she was saying how 10,000 people were killed and approximately 290,000 people were injured in drunk driving incidents. You know, the article went on to talk about how an activist with a community coalition in South Los Angeles, this brother had, um, they mobilized to stop more than 150 liquor stores from being rebuilt in South L.A. that had been burned down in the 1992 Rodney King rebellion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talked about, as you said, the marketing campaigns that deliberate, you know, uh, target African-American and Latino communities. And they even talk about the guns, the names of the guns, as you're saying, that are associated with mm-hmm. this Colt 45. And this article re- actually um, even has a quote from Brother Minister Abdul Muhammad, and he talks about how alcohol and fire water was one of the first things given to the indigenous people. And I'm, and I'm sorry, mm-hmm. that's Brother Abel Muhammad. 
And, mm-hmm. he, you know, and he just gave us the history on how this has always been used to hamper indigenous people's thinking back in history. And, we, you know, we see it today. Uh, we, we see that today. So I, I really yes, wanted to bring out the point about how 26%, and this, uh, this again, is from 2005, but they say how 26% of victims of violence reported that the offender was using drug or alcohol. And this comes from a report entitled uh, Drugs and Crime Facts from the U.S. Department of Justice. Like I said, it's pretty old, but I, I think we can – know if it existed then it's just really gotten worse now uh the article yes, talks about how 41 percent of violent crimes against college students and 38 percent of non-students were committed by offenders proceed to be using drugs they talk about sure. the high number of rapes and sexual assaults mm-hmm. where the people are using some type of drug or alcohol one-fourth of robberies um you know, 60% of people arrested tested positive, positive for illegal drugs. Now, this, again, was 2005. They talked about Just how um, 2004, one-third of people in state prisons and one-fourth of people in federal prisons said they had committed offenses while under the influence. You know, they talked about alcohol being just really a associative factor when we talk about domestic abuse, of course, we know mm-hmm. DWI, and we know that those who are arrested for DWI, they're reported using other drugs in the past, such as marijuana and cocaine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, right. we're really looking at something that we're identifying, because actually in this article, it says we want to make better choices, and we want to mm-hmm. educate our people on how you know, this manipulation occurs with this drug and alcohol usage. And I think, again, this is part of making good decisions in order to avoid these traps. So can you talk to us about do you see, you know, crimes being committed that, you know, either the people are using, they're under the influence? How, how do you see uh, use of drugs oh, and yes, alcohol I, I concur 100%. Um, okay. yes, I would almost be willing to say that our percentages of, of drug usage during criminal activity is in the 90 percentile, way over mm. to it. But I wow. would really like to venture into uh, the root of it. And a lot okay. of times the root of that drug usage and the root of that alcohol usage is depression. Mm. And our, and our community being so depressed and moreover, so oppressed that that oppression leads to a depression. And, you know, when you talk to people who are, who are, uh, who are drinking and so they're saying, I'm trying to get my head right. You know, and, Mm. and when you're, when you're out and when you were, Back in the day, out in the streets, you know, you, you talked about, you know, you talked about getting your head right, and then you talked about liquid courage. So, even going all the way back, as you as you brought out to our Native American family, if you can impair the mind, then you can control the body. And a lot of the the impairments that you know that you if 
the first thing they tell you when you're driving a vehicle, when you look on the side, that you know, the usage of alcohol may impair your usage of this particular vehicle. But just think okay. about your body and how it impairs your thinking. It impairs your vision. It impairs your depth perception. The same thing, it also impairs your thinking. It impairs what is rational and what is not rational. So most times when people commit crimes and they're caught and then they're, they're sitting down in the holding tank, the first thing they say was, what was I thinking? Mm, Why was right. I impaired during this time? And what did I use to impair my thinking during this time? You know, so if I was in my right mind, I wouldn't have done something like this. But since I was in a, in a state of an impaired mind, then I'm not really responsible for what I did, but you're accountable for what you did. That's right. And that's when you, you know, I, just today I was, I was talking to a young man today that was a, he got a DUI. And he's like, you know, I got all of this going for me. I just graduated from college, you know, got my master's degree. I got this, I got that, I got this, I got that. And I asked him, I said, well, dear brother, is, is, do you have a drinking problem? And he says, you're the first person ever asked me that. He says, I drink to cope. I drink to begin to slow myself down so that I can try to put things in order so that I can do all the things that I'm trying to do. So I have to whip my mind and I have to drink to kind of impair myself so that I can, I guess, concentrate in that matter. But at that point, you lose certain faculties. You lose the, the control over your, your limbs, and you, you, you don't have that depth perception. And what, when you look in the mirror, as it says on the side, the objects may be closer than they appear. Yes, so sir. things may be a little further than they appear, a little closer than they appear, but in actuality, it is not the right vision that we have when we are impaired. So when right. we're dealing with our this system, a lot of times we try to deal with this system through an impaired view, and they take advantage of that impairment. So now in yeah. the system, you know, when if you have a drinking problem, they send you to an alcohol resource center, and when you have to pay a fee to go to this center. You have to pay a fee to, be, to go through a class to talk about the usage of alcohol and the dangers of alcohol. Even with, a, you know, when people speeding, it's not necessarily dealing with alcohol, but you have to go to a class or a defensive driving school. You have to pay for that. Right. Those are, those right. are cousins of the system. You know, these are the ways that people make money outside of the system, but they're part of the system. So, you know, as we began to really uh, look at how alcohol and drugs and all of this has a, has, a major, has a major stint there, we also have to look at the point of, I would call it temporary mental illness or mm. that, sense of, that sense of depression or that sense of oppression that is suffered prior to this person and prior to this person actually intaking whatever or ingesting whatever they're using to impair that mind. Yes, sir. Why do you need to yeah, get that mind right? 
Yeah, that's right. And you know what? That's a great point. I want everyone who's listening, if you have a question or a comment, please press the number one to get into the host queue. Anyone with a question or a comment as we're, we're talking about this this very interesting uh, topic. Let's see, because as you're saying, um, Brother Maurice, you talked about these court-ordered rehab programs, which there mm-hmm. it's such a huge um, uh, business right now. You've got the anger mm-hmm. management. You've got the drug rehab. You know, and also I think as you're talking about the targeting of them impairing, you know, them just targeting us, you look at um, – I saw an article entitled The Corner Liquor Store, Rethinking Toxicity in the Black Metropolis. And this is an article by someone by the last name of Kwati, Neo Oyoi Kwati. And, and I thought the point of it is, is just like, wow, they're actually studying how these liquor stores have, you know, these are, these are law review articles and dissertations about this, they call it sure. the state of antibiosis. Now, I needed to look it up, mm. but I think it has something to do with symbiosis, some relationship mm-hmm. that black communities have with these corner liquor stores that have just been, you know, preying on us for years and resulting in some of these crimes that we're seeing in the courts. I'm going to go ahead and take a call, and then we can get right back to our discussion as well. Let me open up the mic. Yes, caller uh, ending in 5490. Do you have a question? I'm a Sister Pamela. Why, Lakers ma'am? Oh, this is, uh, as usual, your topic be so on point. I had oh, a, a foster child in my home, yes, ma'am, for about eight yes, years. Ma'am. And he was from the Ute tribe. Now, um, the Ute tribe is one of the richest tribes in America. And, uh, you know, people may not know, but America, uh, the government pays some of these tribes, you know, money. They get like five, six thousand, ten thousand dollars $10,000 a month per family. And But his uh, problem was, of course, alcoholism in the family, and he was born to a mother who was an alcoholic, and he was diagnosed with alcohol fetal syndrome. Now, okay. it, you know, over over the years, I got to know, you know, his family and different things, and it was always interesting. And I want the brother to to I'm asking him a question too, as to how, you know, the uh, the, the government know who to give money to. They know who's not gonna do nothing with them, because for many of these tribes, get money. And they either, you know, buy alcohol or um, go to the casino, and they live in really despicable conditions. Uh, so it's not just about, like, blacks are fighting for reparations for money. It's not about money because what, what condition are the people in mm. that you're giving the money? And I mm. suspect they are freely giving these people money because they know, they, they know that it's going to come back to them. So uh, I guess my question is, brother, um, have you found a a connection or a correlation as to, you know, it's not always the poor who are into alcohol. 
No, it's not. Oh, you no, know, you're right. <laughs> you know, you find a lot of wealthy people who are just straight-up alcoholics. And I also want you to what to comment on these entertainers pushing alcohol to us. It, it, it seems criminal in itself. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, Sister Marguerite. Those are excellent points and, and questions. Thank you so very much, uh, as as always, for your call, ma'am. Go, yes, brother, thank brother, you, ma'am. Well, you know, uh, I guess in most in most instances when you are receiving uh, fundings or different things like that, you have an application process. And most times when we're we're going through a situation here in Alabama that our, our governor decided to take the money from, from the COVID virus and build prisons with it. And we're talking about 4 or $5 billion that they're going to take to build prisons. And the question was, well, why are you going to build prisons? And the question in my mind, I began to look at it a little different. You build the prisons because you're establishing generational wealth. What other way would you be able to give $5 billion to someone unless they had their own construction company and then these companies have their own sub subcontracted companies that distribute the monies to these people? It's not about them providing a prison. It's about them providing an income flow for their family members and for their, for their community. So the same mm. thing happens when you have a, a segment of people who are needed people and you see that the people are bound by a certain uh, group or a certain uh, impediment. So you put money in that particular area without guidance. And then they simply bring you the money back twofold. So if you're giving them the $5,000 a month, they're going to give it right back to you. So why not keep them in a circulation of funding so that your funds or that your money can continue to grow? And when if you, if you go to those areas and see, look who owns the businesses that support that village or support their tribe. It's going to be people outside of their own interests. The mm-hmm. same thing with the black community. You know, when, when, when we start getting our food stamps and we get our EBT card, and we go and, as our grandmothers used to say, we go trade with the people. We're not trading with ourselves. We're trading with other okay. people and other nationalities that take that money and build their community and simply use our community as a host because they're praying from the host. So I don't think that, that the, the mode of operations changes. I think it's just the, the changing of the fact of the people. So they're not going to change the way they operate based on what's been successful for them, they just change it to fit the mode of the demographic that they're dealing with. So it might be alcohol and straight fire water with them. And like with sister talked about the rappers selling and, and distributing alcohol with us, this it's the same thing. We just found a different point to push, but you're pushing the same degradation. You're pushing the same aspect that these people are still depressed and they they don't they don't have a mind of they're working from a mind 
that is distorted. So you keep bringing the, the product in that will continue to distort the mind. Yeah, yeah, you're. I, I agree because I know when we we were talking about it earlier about how to make good decisions and the sure. fact that these are traps. And so the sure. question was how to avoid the trap. And so first we have to have knowledge that it is a trap. And I That's think a lot of times when we're looking at our celebrities pushing some of this lifestyle and behavior that leads to uh, imprisonment for many who are try- who are getting mm-hmm. caught up in these traps, you know, this is this is something that uh, we're having a conversation about tonight because I think the uh, the the, the ten thousand fearless. I think you know when mm-hmm. we're making our communities decent and safe places to live, you know, these are areas that we we really do need to address. There's room for it because there's a need uh, to educate our people and actually to do some of this rehab work ourselves, I, you know, bring mm-hmm. attention to an article in this week's final call called Islam Dignifies and Transforms. And in right. that, um, just one small quote is that the brother uh, who is incarcerated, uh, and, and really he was uh, getting some of the benefit of the Nation of Islam's Prism Reform Ministry, but this brother, mm-hmm. it says, the teachings of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad dignifies and transforms human life, regardless mm-hmm. of their circumstances. And the article sure. goes on to say the mission and work of the Nation of Islam's Prison Reform Ministry has decades-long history of working and ministering to those who are incarcerated throughout the country. And so I think that, of course, we know it, it, it serves a purpose with what you say some of this entrapment in outside mm-hmm. of the prison walls because it's right. leading to uh, involvement in these criminal justice systems and these traps. So, yeah, thank you so much, Sister Marguerite, for, for calling in. Yes, really ma'am. appreciate your comment. And if anyone else has a question or comment, please, um, we we ask that you, you know, please press the, the one button, the number one, to get in the queue. And and so I guess, Brother um, Maurice, you you're just giving us so much information about even the 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 system's ability to to make money off of these very uh, sad health issues, you know, drug and alcoholism, mental health, and, yes, and they're really preying um, on something that exists in our community. But I guess going back to let's make some decisions, let's make some good decisions. So when you're talking to people who, let's say, they can't pay their fine mm-hmm. because they don't have money, what is some of the practical advice that we tell people uh, when you're in that situation that can avoid this snowball effect, these warrants being issued? Well, the first thing I tell them is please appear in court. Right. <laughs> because a lot yes, of sir. people a lot of people say, well, I don't have any money, so I just won't go. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the first thing that happens is you don't give the you don't give the authorities the opportunity to hear your side of the story, you forfeit that right by not coming. Now, That's in right. most cases, and in most courts, uh, and I know our court has one, has a situation where if you 
are indigent and you cannot pay, you can do community service. And That's right. what we have attempted to do, even in our community service, if we have a person that is doing community service, we want to take that community service opportunity and turn it into a skill ba- a skill making opportunity or a skill development opportunity. You know, we we had a situation where we had some young people that that were doing um, janitorial services or you know helping clean up as a part of their community service. So I asked the the, the lead person there. I said, well, how how um, how would it be if we could create a curriculum and say, okay, these people are going to be here for four or five weeks. Let's put them on a curriculum of learning how to actually perform janitorial services. And so when they are finished with their community service, not only they have they completed their community service, but they have a viable and viable job skill now. Now you could take your little certification that the person will give and say they've taught me how to properly, I guess, janitize something. That's a word. If uh, sanitize, right? Sanitize, sanitize, and maintenance, and so Mm -hmm. on. So I can actually take the skill of being a janitor and put it to the market, right? Rather than just wasting your time and you just doing. And see, a lot of times people allow their allow their time to do them rather than they do them through their time. So even on a community service level, there is a way to come in and say, oh, look, I'm here doing community service, but I'm looking for a job opportunity, especially if you are physically able. Look for a, yeah. job, look for a viable skill because oftentimes when we, when we begin to go through our community, we see our, our people and they want to work, but sometimes they don't have skills. They don't have the exactly. skill to put to the marketplace. And, yeah. you know, yeah. by them not having a lack, sometimes having a lack of education and then having a lack of viable skills, it's hard to employ them because either you're going to give them some general labor to do or something that somebody else doesn't want to do, and then, then their morale begins to go down. So now they're looked upon as, you know, this system is be me when actually – I could be really doing something else and really building myself and building my esteem. So one of the things that we worked out is when you come into the community service program, not only are you coming into the community service program, you're actually enrolling into a school of thought. So when you come yeah. out of this situation, you have a certificate, you have some, and you'll be surprised what the certificate does, the point that I've accomplished something what it will do to the esteem of a brother or a sister. And when that esteem is touched on and when that esteem is developed, then they don't want to violate themselves because they see that they can accomplish. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good point because as we were even talking about the drug and alcohol issue Mm -hmm. and, the you know, people – around the country, as in L.A., where they say, let's make this a social justice initiative where we're helping people making better choices and we're educating Mm -hmm. people on why not, you know, use, don't use the liquor. It's a trap. You know, let's 
give you something else to do. These are social justice issues as well when people Mm -hmm. don't have jobs, and so it is creating a mindset of sometimes just defeatism, and that's what we see in court. So these are excellent opportunities Mm -hmm. for some of our wealthy entrepreneur type to start some mm-hmm. services where you can train people where, and then they can actually take this paperwork back to some of these courts and say, mm-hmm. well, I learned this skill. Um, I've satisfied right. this right. particular condition of probation. I mean, it's an excellent opening. We see it in the parenting, um, situ- you know, area where our, our people, we, we need uh, help. We need assistance because this is where people are sometimes just slipping through the cracks and being sent into mm-hmm. these court systems, and it's punitive. So uh, I think yes. that's an excellent Very point so. you make about the janitorial training. We've got another brother, Brother Lewis Ali, who's, I don't know if you know Brother Lewis, he's down there with you, in, in the, he's in the South, and he talks about um, showing black males how to do construction trade. Sure. Um, sure. I know Sister Ava had, Sister Ava, Muhammad, on her show, the um, Ask Dr. Ava show last week, there was Brother Minister Sharif Muhammad out of Atlanta who has mm-hmm. a, um, uh, a initiative. I know one of the buildings is the ARC, where so much goes mm-hmm. on there to help the community. So, you know, this, this is what we um, are hearing from you, this, you know, some of the yes, people ma'am. that are coming into these courts. They need those type of opportunities. Um, and, and see, most of the, 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 the point that they really need is what the premise of the system in its, in its inception is supposed to be, and that is corrections. Mm. They need to be corrected for what has happened because there is so much money involved and there are so many opportunities uh, for money to be involved the corrections have turned into corruption. And so now we began to look at how we can continue to have our gravy train running, and that's by investing in new criminality. Mm. So rather than correct the criminal or correct the criminal activity that the person does, we're incited and asked for them to do more. And now we have even a larger piece to deal with. Now we have more people to deal with. So now we ensure that our our coffers are never empty. They're always going to be full because of the fact that it's always something to do because people are always going to be coming to jail because you're setting that up. You're making that conducive rather than to eliminate that and eliminate that, that, uh, that criminal mind you begin to exacerbate that criminal mind, and now you start thinking of different things, ways to be criminal. So now the cor- cor- corrections has now turned into corruption. Yes, sir. That's right. And, and of course, Brother Maurice, you know, there, there are some of us and those of us who know that we are actually, uh, those of us such as yourself, are, mm-hmm. a, you know, woke and have been benefited from these teachings and so you're uh-huh. actually able to see that this, just like the Latinos, uh, Brother Abel was saying, this is a system that has always been going on since slavery, where you had the 
petty crimes and you had the convict leasing and you had the people making money off of these petty crimes. Because, again, these people uh, that come into these municipal courts, as you're telling us, sometimes they have broken taillights, stop signs, evictions, failure to appear. So they're not always, you know, uh, wanting to get into any trouble. Uh, It's just the decisions that are made once into these systems that sometimes exacerbate it, and this is something yes. that you're helping us to, um, to to give information on how to avoid. How Let to me say avoid. this. Yes, so, you, yeah, so you talked about when you come to court or if you're having financial issues and you're not able to pay a fine, perhaps, that the best thing to do is to speak up. Um, and I mm-hmm. love to see so many of our people taking initiative to call into these courts or to show up yes. and to do the research for themselves so they know how to address the issue because uh, it's not going to go away by just putting your head in the sand. And what yes, about sir. paperwork? See, I have this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, sir. <laughs> I, I was about to say this little point that you mentioned that. Statutorily, you cannot place a person in jail because they owe money. Okay. Okay. Good point. It is usually – the point of failure to appear that end that ends that person into the into the jail. When they right. fail to appear, that creates a brand new charge, and it also deepens the hole. Mm. So now yeah. the, the failure to appear becomes a separate and detached charge. So now you have a fine and a conviction on the failure to appear as well as the base charge that you came in on, the predicate charge that you came in on. So if it was if it was theft of property that you came in and you're dealing with and you're paying restitution and then you fail to appear, you're going to get a fine for the failure to appear, but it's compounded on mm-hmm. to and conjoined on to the theft of property. So now you come in on 300 and you leave on 800. Because right, you fail right. to appear when it actually right. actually if you had reported to court and say, Your Honor or Judge or what have you, I, I cannot pay it. They cannot put you in jail because you cannot pay it because this mm-hmm. is not a debtor's court. Mm-hmm. And see, the history of the, the criminal justice system was based off of a debtor's court where people owed right. people and they would go and uh, gather those people up and work those debts off mm-hmm. for the other people, Indi- but they outlawed that. And so indentured that is no service. longer, yeah, that, that endangered service situation is no longer legal. So, mm-hmm. so it is as an inmate or a person who is or, or, or defendant in the municipal court or any other court. If you don't have the money, then you have to appear and receive and talk with the judge about a further arrangement. Right, right. But they cannot do and, that to you. They cannot put you in jail because of that. Yeah, and, and I mean, and, and even though it happens, but I think part mm-hmm. of what, you know, I've seen is that that intimidation factor uh, that sometimes a judge may give to a, a, a person before him, you know, that's their job mm-hmm. to appear mean and to be threatening sometimes, and they'll use right. that to 
encourage people or make them fearful that, oh, my gosh, I, I, I can't come back because I'm going to get in trouble. Right. And then when you don't come back, you get in trouble uh, versus if you had exercised your rights and stood and actually just did away with fear, you know, because right. well, yeah. fear, as we're told, is, is our worst enemy uh, most times. Mm-hmm. And, and, and fear can be a motivator in some instances. And sometimes it could be a detonator in some instances, you know, because if a person is so fearful, they will attack you. You know, if a person Mm -hmm. is too fearful, that fear will turn into something else, you know. And so I think in the system, in the criminal justice system, that, and and I tell people all the time, it's just a few years ago that you began to see more of your kind of people and that means black people on the other side of the criminal justice mountain. Yes, sir. That's and right. so it's it, it it's kind of a feeling of ours that since we are here, we have to represent a different sense and a different uh, poise of justice to our people, not just to lock you up and slam you in. But how do how do you how do you care for your people? How do you begin to work your people out? How do you begin to correct your people if they if you don't bring different programs to attend to their needs? You know, because black people are different than other people. We have other when we come to court, we're coming to court not just as a defendant in most cases, we're coming to court as a habitual offender from the standpoint of family, because our folks went to jail. My mama went to jail. My daddy went to jail. So I don't know anything, but this is almost like a rite of passage for me to go to jail. But then when you begin mm. to break it and you begin to talk to them about this is not ne- this is not necessarily where you need to be. A way of life. Yeah, this is not. not because, there. again, not we're well, looking at the not. history. Sure. Yeah, we're looking at the history where the predatory sure. nature has our mm-hmm. people have been preyed upon uh, mm-hmm. in by this criminal justice system to the extent that it just seems normal, uh, and we've right. been oppressed, and so it mm-hmm. then we we end up turning it in on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so coming to court sometimes, like you say, seeing someone such as yourself who is there to say, "I want you to be better." Uh, Right. And so that that's the conversation you and I are having because you you and right. I you know usually we're on the other we're on the opposite sides of the uh, the defense brother Maurice because you know I'm always we're we're on the side where we're fighting against uh, what we see is not as compassionate as as what right. you're saying but I do right. appreciate going into courts and finding people like yourself who are mm-hmm. um, there to make sure that the job is done and job is done fair um, right. and not to harm my client. So I appreciate right. what you're saying. Right. What, what about, and, that, and, that's, um, and that's our aim. That's our aim, just to make sure that you get a an honest and level shot at justice. You know, because the facts are the facts. If you did it, you did it. If you didn't, you didn't. But the facts are the facts. But when I skew the facts to lie on you, to make you think or make you say that you did do something that you actually didn't do, 
so that I can satisfy my quota, that's wrong. That's corrupt. And that needs to be eliminated. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I know another thing I think is big, uh, important about decisions is to read your paperwork uh, oh, and definitely. keeping the paperwork. Uh, this is yeah. something that we really want to communicate to uh, the listeners. And, again, if anyone has a question or a comment for our brother, uh, Chief Magistrate Judge Maurice Muhammad out of Bessemer, Alabama, uh, any questions or comments that you would like to make, uh, please press the number one to get in the host queue. So, again, reading – go ahead. Yes, sir, go I ahead. I, I often, when, when I have people that come into the system, I often remind them, don't leave, don't leave court without you, your paperwork. Well, I don't need my receipt. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You need your receipt every transaction. Because you need to sometimes correct the system. And if you have your paperwork, then you have a better shot of of getting your justice. But if you don't have your paperwork, what do you have to hold them accountable for their responsibility? You know, I tell citizens all the time, I want you to hold me responsible for being over what you have going on. So the best way to do it is if I have paperwork, you need to have the same paperwork. And you know the etiquette of court that what the defend what the defense sees, the prosecution sees. Just in our points of discovery, you know, we, we want everybody to be on the same page. That's right. You know, so and, and again, a, you know, so I have I, sometimes I will sit down and take a couple of minutes and explain what a disposition is to to defendants. The disposition is your, your, your guilt or your innocence and then what goes on at that point. Has your case been completed? I don't know. Well, let's go through it and see. Okay, you made a payment here, made this payment, made this payment, and now you owe $35. Oh, that's all? Man, I've been running. Man, I've been ducking and dodging and all that over $35. Can I pay it now? Sure. And what I do, you know, just as an emphasis and, you know, over-dramatization of it, when I clear someone's file, I hand them their file, their empty file, and ask them to put the, the documents in their empty file, and they take it with them. And I say, now, if it's a lie, you told it. Yes, so you get to yes, walk sir. out with what we had on you with you because now once you've taken care of it, it's all in your disposition. It's all your paperwork. And you you are owed that as a person, as a defendant. You are owed to know exactly what you're being charged with. Yes, sir. No. And and yeah. so that's that's really that's really important. And and you know, so we talked again cuz we're we're winding down, but again, uh-huh. we're we're talking about people, our people, our communities that are coming into court environments. And we're coming from communities where we are targeted. We're targeted sure. with the, you know, we talked about the uh, menthol cigarettes. 
you know, we talked mm-hmm. about the malt liquor bulls. We talked about, I don't think we, we, I didn't bring it up, but there was an article on how we don't have proper groceries in our community. So mm-hmm. many times our, our, the food choices, the food deserts that we live in, mm-hmm. you know, this is the mindset of people who are coming into these court systems, and, and many times there are tickets. There are unfair charges. There are, um, you know, police brutality issues that bring them to these, these, these places. And so uh, the decision that I would like to make sure that everybody remembers for today is you have a constitutional right to request a trial before pleading sure. guilty on a ticket because we know that these courts, they're not there to necessarily inform you of what what's fair. You know, um, mm-hmm. sometimes deception is one of the things, and, and not even deception as much as is neglect, because this is why mm-hmm. you should have your own lawyer, uh, because your mm-hmm. lawyer should be the one that advises you on how to be successful in your case, because that's ultimately what we want. And so, again, we we want to make sure that people know getting a lawyer is so important and getting a lawyer that you can communicate with that will fight for you. Because I I have this thing about people having lawyers that won't return their telephone calls. And then you have to actually depend upon a person such as yourself, Brother Maurice, to, you know, our clients coming to court personnel to find out what their own lawyers should be advising them of. And so I think that's mm-hmm. something that, you know, has has really to stop in, in making right. proper decisions. Um, you, you've got to take, you know, take it upon yourself to protect yourself and fight for your life and not actually think of the court system as being your friend uh, because we would never um, give that impression uh, on a time for justice, <laughs> brother. Brother, no, no, we're not. We're definitely I'm not serious. there yet. Yes, sir. No, no, but, definitely um, not, not. It's definitely not your friend. But even the, the honorable Isaac Muhammad said, even the devil do right if you make it. Mm, okay. And so you have to force the devil to do right. Okay. And the way that you force the devil to do right is be actual and factual in your movements. You know, know your information. Have a copy of your ticket. If, if, if there was an infraction, have a copy of it. Know your rights on it. The key thing, in, in my opinion, is you, treat, you teach people how to treat you. Okay. So if you come to court and, you know, like, you know, a couple of days ago, a young lady came to court and she had a spaghetti uh, t- uh, top, spaghetti strap top, boobs, breasts hanging all out of her stuff and uh, slits in her pants and everything to that effect. And Good the point. first thing she says, uh, my attorney don't respect me. And... You know, and I'm like, what you mean you don't? He keep looking at me. Well, sister, you came to court with, with your breast out, and that's not going to happen. We don't even let you in court if you're not properly attired. 
in okay. terms of covered, you know, that you know, the, the judges have a certain point on that. You know, they don't want that in their courtroom. They don't want to even be approached with that type of of, of uh, temptation, if you would. So they don't they don't like it in the courtroom. Most judges don't like that in the courtroom. So they'll say no. And it got to a point. There's a there's a t-shirt guy right across the street from my office, and I asked him. I said, Hey man, we have some time. People come, blah 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 blah, and they're unclothed. He said, I know what you're saying. Here a dozen t-shirts. So he gave me a box of t-shirts. And I just give them to the person if they're not clothed properly so that they could be seen. But what we're saying is you have to come in with a certain level of respect for yourself if you That's want other right. people to respect you. Exactly. And, right. and you know, belligerence does not, you know, does not do anything. It does not move anybody. You know, you come in all loud and cussing and, well, this, this don't make it. It, it, what doesn't make sense is how you're acting right now. So now, yes, now if you act like this in the court, how did you act on the street when you're you're charged with disorderly conduct? Yes, so sir. what I'm saying with that, when you come to court, you're coming representing yourself first of all, and then the uh, the attorney simply represents the fact of the matter, but you represent yourself. And your personality. Yes, and sir. your persona. Yeah. And so you have to be a friend to yourself. You know, I know that the courts, are, as, as the magistrate, I'm neutral and detached. I'm neither for or against you, and I'm neither for or against the police officers or whoever brought, whoever brought the charges. I'm just looking at the letter of the law and applying what I think is a rule of law to that letter, to the fact pattern. And then we move from there. Now, your defense is your defense. And their prosecution is their prosecution. But how you hold yourself out and how you hold your, your your personal pride is one thing. Being able to, being able to actually go in and read your charges and all of that. And then if there's a problem, you know, I've I've had I've had uh, defendants who were literally illiterate and could not read. But if we don't know that, then how can we help you? And when the young lady said she could not read, we made sure that we had someone to read it to her. And if we had a family member, somebody she trusted, we want to make it appear. And we wanted the highest appearance of fairness. We don't want to have somebody reading it and they're reading the wrong thing. And you go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm with that. And then you, then you plead on something that's crazy. No, we want you to feel comfortable when you come in that courtroom that you're at least getting a fair shot of what's going on. Now, we can't change the facts. The facts are the facts. But we can present you a point of fairness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So uh, those are excellent points because as you talked about taking care of your business, and mm-hmm. so this ish, this thing about people coming to courts with all types of um, pants, you know, not appropriately dressed, pants mm-hmm. not pulled up, and, um, you know, and not being in a place where you are representing 
who you are. This is your time to be that businessman, you know, to put on a mm-hmm. suit and tie, to put on a shirt. There are some of us who give lists of what our people need to look like when they come into court, and that's so important. Mm-hmm. Don't let people sure. rush you into making decisions. No. Take your time. No. Reset your case. Um, that is so very important sometimes because sometimes the time that you take will make a difference in the decision and the outcome that you make. I think we have another um, caller I'm going to take. Let's see. We have a caller. I think it's ending um, in 490. I don't know. That might be Sister. Yeah, I think we've already taken her call. Okay, sorry about that. But, no, so, I mean, I just think what you said is so important because if you're coming into courts looking like the stereotypes that are being perpetrated about our young people in the the streets or if you're looking like, um, you know, you're you're smelling like maybe marijuana or you're, you know, smelling like alcohol or you're falling asleep because maybe, you know, these are the things that are going on in your life – these are just not good decisions. And so, um, you know, we, we really had to talk about it because the nation, we have people where everybody um, has varied jobs and varied tasks, and we are so blessed to have a brother who is a magistrate judge, and he is on the side of trying to make people, make sure people have justice and fairness. So, So we do have to talk about the things that, We'll like my husband. He's just, he's real big on making sure that the tags are are proper, or you know, making mm-hmm. sure that you know certain things are done. Because if you make good decisions and do things in a timely manner, as we're taught, that 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 helps you to avoid trouble, pitfalls, traps. Sure. You know, and this right. is what we're saying about these drugs and alcohol. We can't really express it enough because I, I really, as we thought about the topic, Brother Maurice, I knew that maybe some mental health, some substance abuse uh, counselors and some other people who work in the community specifically helping people overcome drugs and alcohol need to be on these calls because this is, yes, is a place where we're really um, suffering right now. And, um, again, we know our community is targeted. We know that our community um, is, is, is really a place that there are so many needs, like you say, the depression, the need for economic development um, right now with these job losses. I mean, we're seeing um, a lot of domestic violence issues potentially. We're, seeing, we're hearing about, drug overdoses, you know, I'm always talking about right. children being taken from parents, and we, we have to make sure that we know that our children come first, and so to spend their money is, you know, we got to make sure we're spending it properly. And so making the decisions that don't make you use drugs and alcohol to the, to the um, expense of your family and your loved ones and even your freedom this is yes, something that um, I wanted to get out with you because you see the DWIs and you see the small drug oh, cases. Oh, yes, ma'am. And, um, yes, ma'am. You know, and this is real. Yes, sir. And, and yes, the, cases, sir. the cases that you, that you don't want to see when you see uh, a drug-addicted or alcohol-addicted mother 
that you literally have you have to call the authorities because she's so messed up and out of her mind that she's she's not fit for her children. It, it's a shame to that you know that particular um, aspect of, of of the court. That's not really my part, but in some instances I've had to call. Uh, I've had to call mama. I had to call the authorities, the DHR, because mama is at the wheel of the car passed out with ga- with two gasoline canisters in the back with the baby in the back seat. And the cat, the the, the uh, kerosene, I mean the gasoline canisters in the back seat with the baby, and she's she's knocked out, passed out, drunk at the wheel of the car while she's trying to actually shoot up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hold on, so so you got too much going on wrong right here, you know, with this baby in the back. You actually driving around in a bomb. And you're and you're so out of your mind that that you know they, the paramedics had to bring you back pretty much bring you back to life. So that particular instance, situations like that are caused by serious depression. Yeah. You know, when she came to, there was a, there was an issue there. I would like to you know I would like to uh, as a partner, I'm I'm very big on community partners. Uh, I'm very big on the support and allowing the people in the community to help correct itself. And one of the biggest venues that I would like to see step up, uh, and if we have pastors or ministers who are listening, I would like to ask all of our pastors and all of our ministers, regardless to where you are in the community, go to your courts and say you want to help because oftentimes you can help by just simply opening your venue, you know, opening your church and not necessarily from the standpoint of a church perspective, but from the standpoint of a community center or a community, uh, a place where the community can gather. And just simply doing that, you begin to see the courts begin to pull on the community and you'll begin to see the community begin to improve itself. Because now you have venues for, as we talked about, parenting classes. And you don't necessarily have to make it so that the, the person has to go 10, 20 miles away just to get to a counseling center. It can happen right there in their own communities. So we have to turn our communities, our churches, into community centers to fulfill some needs and partnerships that need to happen in our community to help our people. Sir, and you and, and you're you know, so right. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. You know, and I, you know, I, I, that 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 becomes a big soapbox of mine, where you know you pass by all of these beautiful churches and they're closed, but then you pass right by the same people that need to be in these big old buildings and getting some service. And you don't necessarily have to provide the service, but simply provide the venue. And you have a lot of service providers who are looking for places to provide services. You know, yes, so sir. in our community, I think we're missing because we're not communicating because we're so busy doing this over here and I'm busy doing this over here that we can't see what we're doing together. And if we yes, work sir. together and pool our resources, 
then I think we could really help our community in some uh, monumental ways. Yes, sir. And, and the thing is, it's not that, you know, there's drug addiction in the white community at a all-time high, and this they, yes. they're using drugs at higher rates. I think the statistics are saying black people are being disproportionately impacted, uh, you know, by some of this drug abuse, as you're saying, I think with the uh, methamphetamine and people are, mm-hmm. you know, being found, all white people, Caucasians being found mm-hmm. just totally passed out, you know, around sure. their children. And this is where you're starting mm-hmm. to see a different attitude about drug addiction than what we saw when it was the black community and crack cocaine. Right. However, right. I think our mindset on this show and, of course, in, in our, our, our world, our nation, is that we've got to make our communities better and safe places to be. And so we have to stop right. this. We go to these institutions and make, let them take care of us because that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. We've got to no. build uh, the support systems in the community to to keep our people from being, um, you know, impacted by sure. by some sure. of these social ills. So let me take this call. We have a caller, sure. uh, I think, Craig. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Welcome to A Time for Justice. Uh, Craig, do you have a comment or a question, sir? Um, probably more of a question. I mean, not a question, but a comment. I'm sorry, a comment. I would like to comment on what you're speaking on, if that's okay. Yes, sir. Go right ahead. And okay, so I, I gather that we're we're talking about the future. We're talking about children. Children are the future, correct? Go right ahead. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, I think that a lot of people haven't been taking responsibility for their actions. And I think there's a problem right there. There's one. I don't want to, I don't want to point any more out because I think we can just start with just one, you know, another one would be too much. And I don't have time for all that. I have time for one, one at a time. Right. So this is a problem. So if someone's going to change their behaviors that they developed, right, they're going to have to do something about it, right? So what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to take responsibility. There's not, there's not going to be this thing where you get to sugarcoat something to make people like what you're saying. And then when they eat it, they find out that you were sugarcoating something that wasn't working at all. You were just, you, you were just doing that for your own selfish desires which has an insatiable appetite for destruction obviously so you being the person that you are wouldn't want to make a baby with another person outside of yourself and you wouldn't want to put that into your baby now would you no you're going to put what you want your baby to know into your baby and that's going to be where it starts. So if we're going to take responsibility, let's get back to the where it begins, right? When you came in this world. Now, people make mistakes. It's inevitable. People are always going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Your mom and your dad, they do the best they can, right? But, you know, when you were a baby, you know, there was an adult world that you were 
a part of, but, you know, I don't know how much attention you got from your parents. Some parents bankrupt their children of this precious love, you know, because big people do what big people do, right? And if you're doing some of that stuff, it takes away from that baby that you were supposed to invest in. Yeah. And you made mistakes. Well, you made mistakes. Yeah. What? Yeah. And you know what? Because we're down for time. So what you're saying is, is definitely well taken. And as you said, you know, when you use words like obviously, um, you're pretty much you're talking about a perception. And if that's your perception, of course, we all know that perceptions aren't necessarily right. That's just your perception. And so we're we're really not here to judge. Um, What we're here to do is make some solutions and educate people on what's really going on. So thank you so much for calling because we're down to the last five minutes. Thank you so much, Craig. Call in again. I wish I could. Yeah. Yeah, so we're down to the last five minutes. Brother Maurice, did you have a a comment that you wanted to make in closing? Yes, sir. Well, you know, know, Craig said it all, you know. (laughs) But, um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Craig said it all. But, you know, I I, kind of pulled what Craig said. We have to take responsibility. Right. If um, in our community we have to – that someone is going to have to take responsibility. Not and, and we have for, the minister. We mm-hmm. we have the Honorable yes. Minister Louis Farrakhan, who has yes. given us every blueprint. The Honorable Elijah yep. Muhammad has given us these blueprints. We've mm-hmm. done the, you know, 2015 when we talked about justice. We've talked about oh, unraveling mm-hmm. of a great nation, and that's what we're living in. So we know yeah. that... Um, you know, the responsibility that we have right now is to save ourselves. And that's mm-hmm. what I think shows like this are are here. We we don't want right. to deal with distractions. Um, no, and so we have to deal with, with what we feel like is truth, which is justice and fair dealing. And, um, right. you know, so it just kind of looks like an article that Sister Nisa Islam wrote called Treatment or Jail. And um, right. and we're saying that, you know, this punitive mentality where you just say, well, if people make mistakes or if people are breaking, um, you know, having drug issues specifically, that there's nothing but jail for them. Uh, but we, right. we've seen the consequences of that, and, and we're trying to uh, build the community, uh, Brother Maurice. Right. And I'm so thankful that we have people like yourself who are seeing these Praise cases you, every day because you're seeing volumes and you can tell us um, what what you're seeing and, and some of what your your perspectives are as well. So, um, yes, sir, so we're down to uh, three minutes. I don't know if you want to just um, make a closing or I can just go ahead and close this out. Again, you know what, I knew this was going to be a difficult conversation for us because anytime <laughs> we're talking about let's do this for ourselves and let's mm-hmm. work together, uh, because one of the things I did want to say is make sure that to trusted friends when you're having a problem, mm-hmm. communicate with your lawyer, seek help, mm-hmm. follow up, pray, research the information, read your mm-hmm. paperwork, keep your paperwork, and in order to make good decisions, 
you know, this is the knowledge and the information. And that's why this country right now, black people, you know, we are making a turn uh, with some of the great decisions we're making, especially regarding not taking these shots and everything, because we're really looking at the information and the education, and we thank mm-hmm. the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and, and, and you know, for, for giving us the guidance, because it's there, and we just have to use We're being it. responsible. Yes, sir, being responsible. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> uh, to make our own communities you know, decent and safe places to live. Yes, right. Yes, sir. You know, one of the things I guess on on our way out, I would like to share with the community uh, and your viewers and your listeners is to utilize your technology. You know, and Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is uh, on your phones, if you have some court issues, take pictures of your your information. You know, so that particular, uh, you almost keep your own receipt bank or keep a copy of your tickets, you know, don't go into the legal system blind, you know, That's right. research it, take time. Okay. I'm, I have a court date next week. Understand that court date, know what it's about. Know, know what's going on with it when you get there, because see, oftentimes people will, will walk into a situation so blind that they can't see help around them. Yes, and it right. goes back to the very first sentence that I said, people just want to go home. And right. that, become, right. that becomes the overwhelming thought. How do I get home? With everything else, when, every, when the rubber meets the road, am I going home? Yes, That's sir. That's I want to know. Yes, sir. So, and again, that is not always the best alternative at the time. Not always you have to the best. fight your case. So let's sure. go ahead and end. We're down to uh, really down to the end. And I'd like to thank you all for listening to the A Time for Justice. To hear previous shows, you can log on to uh, the show, Elevated Places. And we invite you to uh, listen to Dr. Ava's show, Dr. Ava Muhammad, who is the national spokesperson for the Honorable Men's Louis Farrakhan, and that's on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, Ask Dr. Ava. Thank you all. Thank you, uh, Samaya Muhammad and the Elevated Places team for helping us, and we would like to thank the listeners once again for tuning yes. in to our show. And thank you, Brother Maurice. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you, Sister Pamela, for the opportunity, man. Yes, sir. Assalamu alaikum. Well, Love Talk Radio.